Okay, so we're going to talk about the things that God hates. I told you last week that we would probably teach on that, but we will get to that in just a moment. But we're going to start in Psalms 142. And um, really, I'm, going, I'm just going to read that whole chapter. It's just seven verses, Psalms 142. And we're still dealing with the mind. We're still dealing with the soul of man, and especially the mind of man. And, and uh, it, it's so important because we're going to do some cleansing today. When it talks about those seven things that God hates, and one's an abomination, we need to cleanse the mind before we start putting anything else in it. You know, sometimes we, we don't take the time to cleanse the mind and, and we try to add something on top of that, but we can't do that. We've got to cleanse the mind first, and then we'll put in what belongs there. Okay, so Psalms 142. Uh, now, this is David, a, a prayer of his. He said, I cried unto the Lord. I want you to put yourself in these verses. You've got to put yourself in the Word when you're reading it. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice, Unto the Lord did I make my supplications. Now that first verse is very important because he is speaking these. He wasn't just thinking what he needed. He was speaking it out. And the power is always in the spoken word. We have the thoughts, but like someone said, they're dormant until they're spoken. So I cried unto the Lord with my voice or with my words. And my words unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Now these are words that he was speaking. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou know, knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld. Are y'all paying attention to his words? I looked on my right hand and behold, and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Bless his heart. You know, we pray the answers into the problems, but he's going to get his life straight, his mind straightened out here in just a minute. No man cared for my soul. Have you ever had a pity party? <laughs> pity parties are always turned inward. Well, I feel sorry for me. And, and every person has the opportunity to have a pity party where you think like this. But we're talking about cleansing the mind. These are thoughts that were in his mind that he spoke. He was giving power to them. But praise God, God dealt with his mind and with his words. So, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. We're starting to see a change. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Then here's where it came true to him. 
Here's where he realized what was going on with everything he was saying. His soul was where it didn't need to be. His thoughts were harboring all of these things. And he realized that his soul was in darkness. But bring my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my thought patterns, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. And then when I was doing some commentaries on this particular scripture, where it talks about the righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. As he made these changes, it talks about how that the righteous were going to start receiving him. And you'd have to go to the commentaries to get all this and how that they would congratulate him. Well, I'm congratulating you ahead of time for the changes that you're making in your soul today. Amen. Now then, this is a prayer of David when he was in the cave. Remember when he was hiding from Saul? And David was in the cave. And this is the prayer that he prayed. But notice the condition of his mind. What was he thinking? They, they certainly wasn't thought to glorify God. Did his thoughts glorify God? No, they didn't. And that's what we're talking about is our mind. And that's where our, how our thoughts are housed. Remember, our mind is a household of thoughts. Okay. So David was in a tough spot. Here he was in this cave. And there was only one way out of the cave. You can go back and read this uh, later about David and and being in the cave where Saul was after him. But, you know, and it talks about in those scriptures how that Saul and his men had entered the entrance of this cave where David was hiding. They had blocked the entrance. And there was only one way out was through the way they came in. And here David was. He was in a spot. He couldn't get out. They were there. They were, they were in front of that entrance as you read that story and do some commentaries on it. They didn't know that David was in the cave. And that's who they were looking for. They didn't know he was in their power already. He was in the cave. So I love David's answer to this situation. He said... Now here he was, all of these, all of Saul's men in there looking, you know, just not knowing that the very thing they're looking for is right there hiding. But, Saul, but David woke up and he said, oh my, I am in a tough spot. What am I going to do? The entrance is blocked. Here I am and there's all their powerful men. And it said even the king, their king head was with them, uh, this mighty army. So he said, God, you're my refuge. I'm going to put my trust in you. That's what he said. Remember, we read that. So things begin to change for him. Where are you today in your mind? Are you, too, are you in a spot? Are you, is there something going on in your life that you need changed? Then he said, you know, God, I'm going to trust in you. Trust and faith go together. 
He says, I will. See, the will is up here. Your will is housed in your head. It's part of the soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are all right up here, what sits on your shoulders. Your mind, your will, your emotions, and your thought patterns. And your will, the way I like to say it, is your directional ability that God has placed in you. Your will is very important. And at least if you don't will it, it's not going to happen. I will worship the Lord. I will be a tither. I will. See, that's your directional ability. And when you express your directional ability, you'll follow up with actions. But he said, you know what, God? You're my refuge. You're where I'm hiding. I, I'm hiding in a cave, but I'm actually hiding in you and in your word. And that's what we do. We hide in his word. He is our refuge. And I've, I've told him, I don't know how many times, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. And, you know, things were going on around David in this cave. I mean, he could hear all of those men. And as far as what he could see and what he could hear, it seemed hopeless. But he told God something. I'm going to trust you. You're going to get me out of this mess. Well, what about you? What about the mess that's come against you or your life or your kids or your job or whatever? Do you trust him to get you out of it? Be like David and say, you know what, I'm going to trust you, God, because your word said that you would perfect everything that concerns me. Now, I'm going to turn loose of that care. I'm turning loose of that care. I'm turning it over to you because I can't do anything about it. David couldn't do anything about it. So you turn loose of it. Where are you going to turn loose of it at? Right up here. Tori, it's no longer a care. But it's something that you're trusting God. And the neat thing of it is, it's amazing how God works things out. He just works things out. And we don't know how to do it ourselves, but he does. So I put my trust in him. The Clark Commentary says, Even in the most disastrous circumstances, I will put my trust in you. This is what David said. And then he said, I am brought very low. Then he said, deliver me from my persecutors. They are now in full possession of the only means of escape. This is what he was saying, and this is what he was seeing with his eyes. He says, they're stronger than me. See, he was, he was voicing all this. What am I? What are these men against this this well? What am I against these well-armed men? Is what he was saying, with their king at their head. And then he said, "Bring my soul, bring my thoughts out of prison." Because he was thinking wrong. Now, we're going to judge ourselves today because we're going to get into the those six things that God hates. And the seventh, that was an abomination. So, bring my soul out of prison. We need our soul. Remember what it is? Your mind, will, and emotions, your thought patterns. We need those brought out of prison. Sickness can captivate you right up here in your mind. Um, lack of finances can captivate your thought life. 
to where you, you will get depressed. You think, am I ever going to get out of debt? Yes, you will if you do what the Word says. You have to be obedient. You see, faith has some laws set, and we have to learn those laws. You have to learn the laws of prosperity, the laws for, uh, concerning sickness and disease, the laws that concern your peace. You have to learn those laws and what will bring your thought life out of that and into what God's Word says. So he said, bring my soul out of prison. Bring my life. This is the Clark commentary. Bring my life out of this cave in which I am imprisoned. He trusted God. And that's one thing we've got to do. And when we trust God and what his word says, uh, we could do a teaching right here on patience. Because patience is part of uh, standing in faith. It's, it's a very big part. God works through people. And... Not everybody listens. God may want to use you today to bless somebody. Are you listening? I'm not saying he's going to, but we need to be open to listen. Remember, we hear, but we've got to listen also. So David took possession of his soul here. He took possession of his thought life, and he started thinking different. And you've got to start thinking different. You know, when you think different... And, and you trust God, you're going to enter into praise. I praise you, Father, that you perfect everything that concerns me. I praise you concerning this decision, this decision that we're making. I praise you and I trust you. Because if we really trust him, praise will automatically come. Thanksgiving will come. I'm, I'm, I'm thanking you because I know that you're working on this for me. Now, I need to be patient and let you do your work. And we can mess up the work he's trying to do for you through people if we start talking negative. We can reverse everything that God's doing by the, us being negative. So he said, I trust you to bring me out of this situation. He was saying, I put my faith in you and I put my faith in your promises. Um, Hebrews 11, let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let me find it here. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, we need to pause and think on that. How important is faith? Do you want to please God? Do I want to please God? Yes, I do, and I know you do too. He says, for he that cometh to God must, must believe that he is God. And he must believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, you'll notice there were three things here. He said it's impossible to please God without faith. You know what impossible means? It ain't happening. It ain't happening. So, the next thing he said was, we must believe that he is God. Now, probably sometime we may need to do a teaching on that. Who is God? He says, we must believe that he is God. 
He's he's the creator of the universe. He created all things. But if we really stop to think about who, but the question is, who is God in my life? Who is God in your life? He's your answer. Amen. He knows even the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you know, that scripture, man, that that gets us. When he says he knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, there's a lot of times I have stopped myself from saying something to somebody because the intent of my heart was not right. The intent of our heart can be to injure. It can be hurt. It can be, you know, feelings let out. But the intent of our heart is so important. And you might do something uh, and God, and it not be the right intention behind it. God says, I know why you're doing that. I know the intent of your heart. And it's not right. So we have to pay attention to that. So who is God? So, and it goes on in verse 3, the third thing he says, He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those that diligently. Now that takes some meditating on that. First thing I would have to ask myself, am I diligently seeking him or am I kind of haphazard with my relationship with him? But diligence before God and the word, he's going to reward it. And that's a promise. So, Father, I trust you that you're rewarding me because I'm being diligent. I am seeking you. I do want to know you as God, my Father. So one minister said this about why God is not pleased. Um, He said, it is because he is not pleased when he cannot manifest himself in your life and meet your needs. He's not pleased if he can't manifest himself in your life and meet your needs. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's the love of God, isn't it? So one reason faith is so important for you and me is because it's the connector Get this, faith is the connector between us and God. Faith is the connector between us and everything that he has promised in this word. That's why you can't just look at this word one day a week. It won't work that way. Faith faith comes by continually hearing, and faith does not come from having heard. Because situations and circumstances will rob you of your faith that you have heard years ago. But it's got to be present. Faith is now. It's present. And it is the connector. So that's why we study this. Faith connects us to every promise that's in this Bible. So we're going to have to start reading it, speaking it, doing it. The Word of God is the most valuable possession that you can have. It's not money. It'll get you money. But the word is the most valuable uh, possession that you can have, and we need to value it very dearly. And um, just read it and study it and listen to it. I love it. You know I love the word. Okay, so, you know, the word says, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth. Think about that. Let it, Bonnie, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? 
Stop to think about that. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on. Maybe next week when we open for discussion, you can tell us some of the things that it's like in heaven. And that's the way it's supposed to be in your life. We are in the earth, but because we have accepted Jesus as Lord, we are in the earth, but we are not of the earth. That's what the word says. We're from the heavenlies. And we're to operate since we are, you know, a missionary, when our missionary goes to other countries, how does that missionary work? He's representing this, the country he came from. Well, we came from heaven. We came right out of the mouth of God. And we're to operate in this earth because we're in it. We've got to operate with the heavenly way of operating. Because everything that we have need of is in the realm of the unseen, which is, in, which is faith. And our faith will bring everything that heaven offers to earth. Now that's pretty powerful. Faith will bring everything, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Bonnie, don't do anything to hinder what's available from heaven to your life here on earth. So that's why we're going to cleanse the mind. Because these things stops things that we're going to get into will stop your faith. Faith is very important. I want us to get a hold of that. So it connects us to healing. Faith connects us to financial prosperity. It connects us to peace. Whatever is in heaven, faith connects us to that. Now that is a powerful thought. Whatever is in, he in heaven is available to us. Praise God. And faith is the connector. Praise God. We have to let it be. So we need to get rid of those things that's a hindrance to our faith then. And sometimes we don't realize that we are a hindrance to our faith. And a lot of times it's about what we say and what we do. And there's laws that govern faith, and we've got to learn what those laws, those laws are. I love this quote that I read. Satan has never devised a problem that faith in God cannot fix. Satan is the problem giver, and he has never devised any kind of problem that faith in God and this word won't fix. That's how important this word is. Okay, do you remember in Exodus where... Um, when Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. Let's, let's just go over there. Genesis, Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 10. Genesis, Exodus. And let's look at, let's see where I want to start. And verse 23 here. Well, let's start with 21. 10, 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness, darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. I thought that was interesting. When things in your life are so dark, you can feel it. And it, it makes you feel hopeless. And then he goes on, and Moses, in verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, doing what God told him to do. 
And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Three days it was this dark. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. Why? Because the darkness was that thick. They couldn't even see each other. I mean, it was so dark that y'all sitting there together, you wouldn't be able to see each other. That's pretty dark. Well, that's the way a lot of people's lives are, are the way they feel. They feel that darkness. It talks about feeling it. And when you feel that darkness, if you don't watch, you will feel hopeless. Like there's nothing like David in the cave. There's nothing you can do. Well, there is something you can do. Okay, don't let the enemy steal your, your hope. So he said that, uh, but, but listen to this. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, is that not something to shout about? You know what? You may think your darkness is the darkest that you can't even see or can't move. But I'm telling you, you're a child of God and there is light for you to bring you out of that darkness. I don't care what it is. It's right here. Search it out. It's, this is your light. I thought that was the neatest thing, that even the darkness was there, but the Israelites, in their homes, they could see each other. There was light. Praise God. I love that example. So anyway, this when, uh, well, let me go back to this, that in Exodus where Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, and it said God sent all the locusts, and there was so many that the land was in total darkness. So much so that they couldn't see each other or even move for three days. But it says all the children of Israel had light in their house. Praise the Lord. That tells me that we too can have light in a dark situation. Praise God. You know, that, that's when people commit suicide. Their life has become so dark. Satan is messing with their mind. He's telling them, your situation is hopeless. He's telling them just like, David, nobody cares for my soul. Remember the scripture we read a while ago? They feel like nobody cares for their soul. But they do. But in their mind, they're hopeless. They think nobody does. No, you know, remember the old song, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat worms. Now, that's a goldie oldie. First one was easy, the second one was greasy, the third one stuck in my throat. It began to wiggle and I began to giggle. Good old juicy worms. Don't y'all just love me? <laughs> I could sing it to you if you want me to. <laughs> but that's the way a lot of people feel. But where are those feelings at? They're right up here in their mind. Pity parties. Nobody loves them. Well, they do. God loves you. And you know, we need to recognize this in people. And let's love them. We've got to love them. And, and not just in words, but in actions also. 
Okay, so y'all learned a new song today. Last week you learned one, and this week you learned about the juicy worms. <laughs> Nothing like ladies' Bible study, is there? <laughs> okay. So, you can have light, even though your situation may be very dark. Talk to God. You can have healing. You can have prosperity. You can have peace. You can have freedom from that situation. If you have faith in God. Let's go to Proverbs 6, verse 16. I have no idea about my time. This is what we're getting into right here. And we're going to start with verse uh, 16. Now, we're going to talk about these things that God hates. And the one, number one thing you've got to realize, it's things that he hates and not people. God cannot hate people. Because he is love. The only thing he can do is love. Now, he does correct us. But these are things that he hates. And we're going to judge our soul by these today. Because it, it's very important. So I'm going to read those and then we'll comment in just a few minutes. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandments, and fate forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When, uh, the, when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. These commandments, praise God, will talk to you. And he says, love the Lord thy God with thy mind. That's a commandment we are to keep. And it will talk to you, praise God. So... Well, this study was amazing when I started looking at all of this. And in one commentary, this person in Proverbs is called a scoundrel. You ever known any of them? One commentary calls him a scoundrel. He is describing the character. It's what he's doing when he's talking about this, of a scoundrel. It goes on to say, that we hate these seven things in other people. But we are to also hate these things in ourselves. You know, it's easy to hate these things in other people. Now, I'm playing on the word things, not the people. Not what they have done. We don't hate the people. We may, we may hate the things that's happened, but... It's the things that they do. It's the things that they think. And so we're going to look at some of those. But we cannot hate the person. There's something about the love of God being in us that will come forth when we let God really minister to us about these things. So these are things that God hates, not the person. 
He cannot hate the person. These are things, these are sins that hinder our faith. And so we're going we're gonna to cleanse that mind today. Because when we look at these things, we're going to ask ourselves, is any of that in my mind? Is that part of my life? Our faith. These things that we're going to talk about do not glorify God in our mind, and they do not glorify God in our actions, but they will influence our actions. So that first one there was um, a proud look. So the Amplified, it says, the spirit that makes one overestimate himself, a proud look. It's, it's in a person that overestimates himself, and he underestimates others. It means haughty eyes. You know, some people think so much of their self, and they, don't, they think of themselves more highly than, than they should. It's basically what he's saying. But don't us underestimate other people, okay? And that word haughty, I looked that up in the Webster's Dictionary. It means having and showing great pride in oneself and contempt for others. I'll repeat that. Haughty means, and that's a proud look, having and showing great pride in oneself and contempt for others. It is often characteristic of the idle and, and forward. Those, such a one, it says, is totally and utterly without anything to be proud of. <laughs> They're proud of themselves. And they show it, and they talk it, and they act it. And it gets on our nerves. Amen. So that's the, that's the proud look. And so we're going to judge ourselves on each one of these. Do I do this, you know? Is this a characteristic of me that, you know, that I have that proud look that I underestimate other people? You know, that's really something to think about. Do I underestimate other people? I mean, that would be something that I would have to pray in the Spirit about. Father, what do you mean? Do I underestimate other people? Really, it's like putting them down, you know, that, that you're haughty. Okay? And the second one here was a lying tongue. Wow. This is very prevalent. And you know... We think we can get by with a little white lie, but we really cannot. But a lying tongue, he, it means he who neither loves nor tells the truth. A lying tongue does not love or does not tell the truth. I, I looked up, I don't remember which one it was in a commentary, and it gave a list of the wrong use of words. So I thought, well, I'm going to write those down and read them to you because it, it made me stop and think. Now, this is the wrong use of words. Lying. That's number one. Slandering. Gossiping. These are wrong use of words. Remember, we're dealing with our thoughts and our, our soul. Constant talking. Hmm. 
false witnessing. These are wrong use of words. Mocking somebody. Harsh talking that is perverse, reckless, evil, and sly words. Mocking somebody. Boasting is another one. Wrong use of words. Quarreling is the wrong use of words. Deceiving. Deceiving words are those wrong use of words. To use them as deception. Flattering. And ignorant are foolish words. These were all words that we use wrong. And I have to look at that myself. And, you know, sometimes that lying, uh, I mean, that slandering and that, that gossiping, I think gossip is a big one probably for most every person. Because we may not consider it gossip, but the Lord may when, we, when we're telling things on other people. I'm telling you, this kind of janks the slack out of our rope, doesn't it? When we look at these. And constant talking. These, and false witnessing. It's just, you know, it's just really something to think about. These wrong use of words. So, and one reason we want to think about this is because words are so powerful. They enter into your mind. My words enter into your mind. God's words will also enter into your mind. And that's what we need to go after is God's words. Now then, then it's, it listed the right use of words. You like this better, don't you? Words that help and encourage. This is the right use of words. Words that express wisdom. Well, look, they're describing me. Well, what about you? Are they describing you? Say yes. Yes, yes. yes. Because this is the image we want. This is where we're going. I claim these. Amen. Okay, words that express wisdom. Words that are few. Ooh, yes, Lord. Words that are fitting, kind, appreciative, and pleasant. These are the right use of words. And words that are true are the right use of words. Words that are carefully chosen. Now, to me, that was, that was a good one. Because I'll never forget when... Um, Kenneth Copeland told Jerry Savelle, you need to learn the vocabulary of silence. And we need that sometimes. There's a time to speak and a time not to speak. But I really like that one about words that are carefully chosen. And God's been ministering to me about that one, especially carefully chosen. Because words are so powerful that they can hurt you. That they can hinder your faith. And so we've got to carefully choose our words when we're talking about our body. Careful, choose the right words when we're talking. Now, I know that when we go to the doctor, we have to listen to them. We go for a reason. We go to get help. Let me tell you, praise God for doctors. Amen. Praise God for their wisdom. Hallelujah. But 
we have to, all they do, you do what, you take their wisdom and you do it, but you also need to add your faith to that. Faith goes along with doctors. And I'll never forget when Oral Roberts came on the scene. Oh my, what a man of faith he was. But he, he mixed faith and medicine. That was part of his message. It was one of the best messages and very timely back in that day. Because people thought if you had faith, you didn't need a doctor. But there's times I need a doctor. And I'll tell you something else. It does not go against my faith. And that's something you have to get past. Because back in the day when the faith message hit the earth, <laughs> we thought, we were taught basically by some that you don't, you don't need to go to the doctor if, you're faith, if you've got faith. But that's not true. I have faith in that doctor because I pray over the doctors. If I go to see a doctor, you better believe I'm speaking the word over him. Amen. And it, just don't get confused over that. It's not against your faith to use a doctor, but use your faith with the doctor, with the medicine. If you need to take that medicine, you use your faith with it, and you pray over it, and you speak to it, and it's going to accomplish what it needs to in your body, and it will not have any ill effects. See, Choose your words. That's what he's saying. Choose your words carefully. What you say, when a doctor gives you a report, that's the time to choose the right words. Because things can change. Words can change situations. Okay, so now I've got to find out where I am on this. Okay. A lying tongue. It's the wrong use of words. We covered that. Okay. Um, this is talking about this person because he's describing a person here. It says that he needed help for his soul, for his mind. This person did right here. He needed peace. And this is the characteristic of Satan, the father of lies, a lying tongue, lying words is a characteristic of Satan. Now, boy, that'll go off in you. Because we, we, we don't like to call them lies. But they are. And, and to mislead and somebody, that's a lie. And he says that's a characteristic of Satan. Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to have that characteristic as being a part of me. Okay, then he goes on, and he says, um, I think the third one was, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates them. Hands that shed innocent blood. And, and, and actually, he, he's talking about killing there because they have in them the devil's image. This is one commentary. Hands that shed innocent blood, said they have in them the devil's image and do him service. All the killing that's going on, all, I mean, it's every day. If you ever watch the news, it's amazing to me. 
and how there is no regard for the life of another person. Well, this commentary said that's the image of Satan. And, we're, and those that kill are doing a service for Satan. That's pretty strong, isn't it? They don't know that. But it's an image of Satan, and we're doing him a service if we do that by killing innocent people. Wow. I'm telling you, that is so prevalent in our world today. And we really need to choose the right words to take authority over this. And, and your divine protection and, and all of this should be covered in that also. Okay. And the fourth one was a heart that, that deviseth wicked imaginations. A heart that designs and a head. One commentary said, a heart that designs and a head that devises wicked imaginations. So he involves the heart. He talks about the head. Your head can devise um, uh, evil imaginations. That, that's just, uh, we just need to think about that. Am I guilty of that? He devises um, uh, imaginations and that is Acquainted with the depths, let me start over on that. A heart that designs and a head that, that devises wicked imaginations and that is acquainted with the depths of Satan, depths, D E P T H S, of Satan, and knows how to carry on a covetous, envious, revengeful plot most effectively, all dealing with the head. And what we allow into our mind. One was the feet that are swift in running to mischief. You know, this one has to do, once again, with your thoughts and your imaginations. This is an idle person. This is a person that sits around and he thinks up all of this stuff with his mind. And he's swift, it says, to run to mischief. Because he's thinking about this. It's in his thought life. And if you think on something long enough, you're going to do it. So we, we've got to judge ourselves on that. And then there was a false witness that speaks lies, even under oath. I have um, a person in my, in my life that is, and this is, this is, you wouldn't know this person. But they have some court sessions going on. And this covers that really well because they speak lies on the, on the stand. And that's what this is talking about. Even under oath, they're speaking lies, trying to say things that will change the opinion of a judge or of a jury or, or whatever. That's what he's talking about. So, it, in one commentary, it even mentions, even in court, that they will speak lies. We're dealing with what's up here and words that come out of a, a person. But you know what? A person has to sit around and think about that before they ever say it. Thoughts produce words. Thoughts produce actions. Okay, and that's all what's sitting right up here on your shoulders. That's how important it is. And another one was a false witness that speaks lies. 
well, this goes right along with that fifth one. A false witness that speaks lies even under oath. A false witness that has a lot to do with court sessions also. And the next one was, he that soweth discord, discord among brethren. And this is the one in, in your Bible that says, a false, let me see here. Uh, a false, false witness that speaketh lies. And he, the seventh one, that soweth discord among brethren. He that soweth discord among brethren. Man. And, and, and that, he says that's an abomination to God. God hates it when somebody is sowing discord among each other, among family, among friends. God hates it. He doesn't hate that person that's sowing the discord, but he hates what they're doing. This is one of the things that he's talking about. And nearly all the commentaries that I looked up uh, on that seventh one, he that soweth discord among brethren, it says that this is the accumulation of all six things that God hates. Even among family, it said. So discord among family. Wow. And that all comes from what we let happen up here in our mind. The thoughts that we have in our mind. So I've got to look at these and I've got to see, okay, what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to change in my mind here? You know, am I sowing discord among people? You know, my imaginations, are they wrong? Am I thinking like Satan wants me to think? You know, go through these six things and look at them and let's, because these are sins in a believer, in their head, in their soul, that hinders your faith, that hinders my faith. How is that so? Because faith works by love. And all seven of these things have nothing to do with love. All seven of these things are against people. We hurt people. And so all seven of these things we really need to look at and and judge ourselves and cleanse our mind of these things that, that might be a part of us. Okay? Um, like I said, these are against people. And none of these things glorify God. But they glorify Satan. They glorify, this, this is Satan's character. And if he can get us to operate in his character... With all of these different six things that God hates, he just sits back and laughs. But we haven't realized that maybe this is an area that's hindering our faith because they are truly a hindrance. Faith works by love, and none of these things have to do with love. They have to do with the character of Satan, and that just really is a revelation to me that all seven of these are Satan's character. Wow. That's something to pause and think on, isn't it? So, um, Galatians 3 and 11, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, says the just shall live by faith. So, you know what? We're to live by faith. The just 
shall live by faith. That's talking about you as a child of God. But another thing we need to realize, we have to develop it. We have to develop faith. Now, this is a quote. If you and I were to take each of the promises and read them, speak them out loud, and keep them before our eyes, in our mouth and in our ears, eventually faith would rise up in us. Wow. Why? Because faith comes by hearing the promises of God. Now, I like what he said there. If we take each of the promises, and I'm trying to think how many promises that it says, is it, yeah, 6,000? 113 promises? I've got, I, I was thinking I wrote that down. But if we were to take each one of the promises and say them and read them and speak them out loud and keep them before our eyes and in our mouth, then faith's going to come for that promise. Praise God. It is said there are approximately, this is where I was going, um, Don. It is said that there are approximately 6,000 promises 6,000 promises recorded in the Bible. And they have already been established and they are ready and a reality for us. That's a lot of promises. They're ready. I like that. They're ready and they are a reality for us. So we may want to look up some of those promises. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 real quick and then we'll be closing Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Praise God. All the promises are yes and amen. And this is what the Message Bible says. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. I like that. The, the amen is God's yes and our yes together with his yes. Praise God. So we don't have to talk God into any of the promises because they're already done. God promised them to us. He promised them to you. So we've got to keep them before our eyes, keep speaking them, keep listening to what they say, and let's glorify God in our mind. And then let's sing that song, The Word is working mightily in me. No matter what the circumstances, what I feel or see, the Word is working mightily in me. Amen.